We've been looking in this passage of 1 John 5 at what is a Christian, what it really means to know the Lord, and also how do you know that you're a real Christian? And as I said all the way through, we're doing this because there is a a real confusion amongst some, even those who call themselves Christians, about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, there may be those who are religious, there may be those who are moral, maybe some who claim to have some great experience, but they don't have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking at questions like, am I really a Christian? And we saw that a real Christian is a person who has been born again, they've been given new life. God has taken hold of them and made them new and given them life in Christ. God has enabled them to see that they're sinners and to turn from their sin and to trust in Jesus Christ alone and his work upon the cross so that they can be forgiven and made right with God. And a real Christian will also show the the fruit of being born again. We said that when they know the Lord, when there is that life within, when the Spirit of God indwells, there will be evidence of that by faith in the Lord Jesus, by love for God and love for other believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our spiritual family. And then we ask the question, well, do I believe in Jesus? Because being a true Christian is to believe in Jesus as revealed in God's Word, the Bible. Who He is and what He has done, His person and His work. Because if everything depends on Jesus and believing in Him, if He is the basis of being saved and enduring in this world and having that hope of heaven, if our eternity rests upon that, then I need to be sure about who it is that I'm actually trusting. And so being a real Christian is to know Jesus Christ for yourself to have a real relationship with him and to believe in him as the Son of God and the only Savior as revealed in the Bible, in the Scriptures. And then we asked, do I have eternal life? And we looked at the way in which there is this external evidence as to the reality of Jesus. God declares the truth concerning his Son and the only way that sinners like us can be saved. So there is this external evidence, this external declaration. But then as God works in a person's life, there is also the internal evidence. The Spirit takes that truth of God and applies it and enables the person to believe it and to see that it's true, to know that it's true, and empowers them to believe. And there are eternal consequences in our response to the truth. You know, we read, didn't we, God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the defining factor and part, the Lord Jesus Because eternal life is only found in him. To know that God has worked in your life and given you great grace and given you what you need to turn from your sin and to believe in his son. And so we're asking this morning, in the light of all that, how can I know that I'm a Christian? How can I be sure that I'm a Christian? And if you look at verse 13, we see that John longs that the people that he's writing to would know that that they would be sure. And verse 13 is really a a great summary of what John has been putting across in this letter from the beginning. 
And so as he looks back, as he's drawing things together, he reminds them of the key point. He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He wants them to know that they're in Christ. He wants them to know that they've got this life. He wants them to know that they're right with God and they've got this certain hope which no matter what happens in this world is sure and steadfast. He wants them to know that and to continue in it. You know, that clarity is so important. Sometimes it's easy to get lost in the details and to lose sight of what the main thing really is. And friends, this life is, is full of uncertainty. We know that. I mean, we've been reminded of that so clearly. Life is always changing. There are always concerns which we face. So surely in our lives we long for what is certain, for what is true, what can give us a a sure foundation so that as we make our way through this world, we're held by something, something eternal. And we do that by clinging to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John wants believers to rest on that sure foundation. Those who are the Lord's, those who are true Christians, those who believe on the Lord Jesus to know that they have eternal life. To know it, and not because of anything in them or anything that they've done, but because of what God has done. That is the key thing. This is God's work. This is God's salvation from beginning to end. And it's a wonderful thing. Nothing comes close to knowing that you are a child of God and that in Christ you have eternal life. It transformed the entire situation with Andrew. So even with yesterday, as we were there and shared time together, I was able to speak to him as a brother in the Lord and one who knew that his eternal future is in the hands of his Saviour. You know, in the great prayer of the Lord Jesus in John 17, as he faces the cross and as he reviews all that he had come to do, he prays for those that the Father had given to him. And what does he pray? He prays in John 17 that they would know God and Jesus Christ whom he had sent, that they would know true life in him. You know, if you spend some time reading that prayer in John 17 and read it through carefully, you'll see that he repeats his desire that men and women who God had given to him might possess the full knowledge of this and that they might rejoice in it. And leading up to this verse in our passage this morning, John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he's been moved to stress the importance of believing the truth concerning Jesus of Nazareth the Son of God, the promised and long-expected Messiah, and he wants for us to know the certain truth concerning Jesus Christ, because all blessing is found in him. Our confidence is in him, his promises, all that he has accomplished for us. So let's ask the question, can we know that we have eternal life? Can we know this morning? The Bible answers yes. The Bible is very clear, yes, we can know, but there are some who dispute this. Some say, oh, well, you know, we only have eternal life at the moment of death, and and we can't really say for sure that we've got that life now. They say, well, you can never really have true assurance, you can never really be, be sure. Sometimes they dress that up in very spiritual language. 
And they say, oh, well, we cannot know. It's for the Lord to know. It's not for us. And they say that faith is trying to get hold of this. But, you know, we can never quite know for sure that we've really got it. Well, that's a tragedy. Because however noble and pious and humble that might sound, it's contrary to what the scriptures say. And it undermines the word of God and really it calls into question the promises of God. You see, in our text, John is saying, my heart is for you, believer, and I am writing so that you may know that you have eternal life, that you're in Christ by looking to what the Lord has done, his work in you. You see this throughout the New Testament. You think of Paul encouraging the believers in Rome and us, those lovely verses in Romans 8. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a certainty there. There's a conviction there. There's a confidence there. Or when he wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, to Timothy 1, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Again, there's no vagueness. There's no uncertainty. There's a confidence in the Lord. It's a looking away from self. So looking away from all our fluctuating feelings and all the things that go on there, it is looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is having confidence in him. It is looking away from self to the steadfast purpose and faithfulness of God. It is confidence in the Lord alone and his word. You know, the believer is to take God at his word, to trust the word, to believe the truth, the testimony of the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit who gives life applies that truth and grants to us that knowledge and assurance that these things are for us. These things together give that assurance. So you've got these objective promises of God which are there in the Word. And I know them. We should know them. We should remind ourselves of them. And we should cling to them. But then the Spirit of God, that internal witness, assures me that these things are true and that they are true for me. Think of Romans 8.16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we can know this. God has given that and he's given that which stands outside of us and he's also given us that internal working of the Spirit of God which makes these things real for us. And so as believers, we can and we should know that we know God, that we have this life because we know the Lord Jesus Christ and we are in him. So can we know that we have eternal life? Yes, we can. But then there's another question that comes up often is this for all Christians? You know, is this, is this knowledge, this confidence for all Christians? You know, again, there are some who say, well, well, you can know, but this assurance of being born again of eternal life is only for the really spiritual people. Those who are really on a different level, not just for, for ordinary Christians, it's for those who are on a, a different plane and some speak a higher experience. And so John would have known these things. Of course he would. He was an apostle. But, you know, that's, that's not for us. And, of course, John, John would have wanted others to know it too. But it would only be for a select group of the really super spiritual. Not for everyone, surely. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, it doesn't make that distinction, does it? 
John's heart is that all those that he is writing to will know that they are right with God, that they are in Christ, that they have life. Look at what he says, verse 13, that you, he speaks of all of them, that you all may know that you have eternal life. Same with Peter, writing to the early believers. The apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not a lesser faith, a like faith, the same faith. You know, friends, I would say that the influence of Catholicism still lurks even within our own mindsets. And you say, well, how so? Well, I think there are influences for some. The idea of a really spiritual group called saints who are kind of up there and then there's the rest of us. But the New Testament calls all believers saints, those who are set apart to the Lord. And so if you're a believer this morning, by the grace of God, according to the Scriptures, you are a saint. And to not understand that is to miss the truth of Scripture and to deny ourselves of some of the richest blessings that the Lord has for us. And plus the the focus in the Catholic understanding of a saint is on the person. And this again is where we can sometimes fall into a trap. How holy they are. How well they're doing. How devoted they are. How hard they work in these religious things. But the true believer, the true Christian realizes that all his blessing, all his acceptance with God is found in Jesus Christ alone. It's not about how well I do. It's about what Christ has done. And all my service, all my devotion is out of love for him and is enabled by him and is only acceptable to God in him. And so what we're talking of here in our text is the basic Christian experience. Every Christian, everyone, including you, if you're a believer this morning, is meant to know that they have eternal life. This beautiful fellowship and communion with God and this confidence, which isn't in self, but in sovereign grace and a wonderful saviour. And then we ask the question, well, if it's for all of us, should I want to know? Well, very simply, God desires that you know that you have eternal life, that you are his child. Why? Because it brings glory to him. The Lord Jesus himself said this was the reason why he came into the world. The work that he came to do, the work that he finished, is to give us eternal life. It is to reconcile, to bring together sinners like us to a holy God. To be right with him, to know God in a real and an intimate way, and to argue that we shouldn't have that knowledge and pursue it and desire it, is to dishonor the Lord and to call into question his purposes. Now, there are those who maybe sincerely say, well, I don't want to presume that I have salvation. Some fear that a, a wrong confidence would create attitudes like the Pharisees of, you know, I thank God that I'm not as other men. But, you know, a true believer really understands the gospel. He really knows grace. Also knows that, you know, they deserve nothing from the Lord. They're humble. Do you know, it's not going around lording it over others. This eternal life is purely God's gift to them. That he sent his son to die on the cross to secure this life for them. They owe everything to the Lord. So they're humble, they're they're thankful, they're trusting only in the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is all my hope. And so to question salvation in him 
is to doubt the sufficiency of his work and his promise. You know, think for a moment about yourself this morning. You know, if I am uncertain of my position, of my salvation, then surely I need to come before the Lord and I need to, to ask for that divine peace and presence. To go to the Lord and to fall upon him and to come to the word of God and to read the promises and to cling to the promises and to see again that salvation is not something that we decide to pick up or drop off. It's not something that we've come to conclusions about or reason through ourselves in our own powers, as it were. It is something that God has done in us. God has made us his own. And he will continue that work until it is completed. And so if I've come this morning and I feel lacking in spiritual strength and power, and if I, I feel in a place where I don't feel close to the Lord, what must I do? I go back to him. Cry out to him. Go back to the foundations. Find the strength where it can only be found, which is in him. Now that's the testament of the church for the ages. How did the martyrs and the confessors stand in the day? How did they find the courage to give their lives for the gospel? Where did their strength come from? Where did the grace that they needed come from? Well, they knew whom they believed. Their focus wasn't on themselves. It was on the God of their salvation. They realized that all of their salvation was in Christ and that he was everything to them. That he would give them all that they needed. And they possessed eternal life because of him. Not because of their strength or their understanding or anything else, but him. And they knew that his word never fails. And they knew that that which he said he would do, he will do. And they saw death as the door which would usher them into glory. And the face-to-face -face meeting with their blessed saviour. You know, if they had been uncertain as to where their foundation lay, how would they have endured such trials? But the Lord makes it play. Friend, that essential reality hasn't changed now. You cannot know real joy until you realize that all your hope is found in Jesus Christ. That all is well with you because you're in him. It's to know God. It's to have fellowship with him because you found that refuge in Christ. You have been brought to cast yourself upon him. And so let me ask you this morning, do you take Jesus at his word? Do you believe what he says? Do you know that you have eternal life because you're trusting him? Do you have this knowledge in mind and heart? There's a certainty in Christ and it's all because of his merit, his work, his victory, our confidence in him. And that's where the brightness of the testimony comes as we show forth Christ. Can you say, I know that I have eternal life? Well, as we finish this morning, John has repeatedly set out tests of how to know. And it's very simple, really. How do I know? Well, he asks this, what do I believe concerning the Lord Jesus? That's a clear test. He began the letter with it and he ends with it. In 1 John 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and which was manifested to us. 
And so he brings it back to the Lord Jesus. And then he says in verse 12 of 1 John 5, he who has the son of life, he who does not have the son of God does not have life. That is so basic. If we go wrong there, there's no point in going any further. So ask yourself the question this morning, what is Jesus Christ to me? What do I think of him? What do I believe about him? What is my view of this person Jesus of Nazareth has revealed in the Bible? Because if I don't believe what the Bible says about him as the son of God, the only savior, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, then I don't have eternal life. It's as straightforward as that. There is no such knowledge of God without Jesus Christ. You will never find God unless you find him through Christ. So for the believer, the Lord Jesus is essential. He is first in my life, in my outlook, in my plans, in my purposes. And the work of God through his word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has shown to me my sinfulness and my smallness. And it was a painful breaking. And I was brought to a point of helplessness, knowing I couldn't do anything to save myself. But God has sent his only son into this world to do for me what I could not do for myself. How can I face God? I have one hope, and that is that God sent his son. And that I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he died in my place on that cross. That he was the substitute for my sin. And that he has dealt with it. And he has given me his righteousness. And that on my behalf he has satisfied the wrath of God. His whole life absolutely perfectly dealt with my sin. And in him alone God forgives me. And accepts me. That's the first essential part of the sure knowledge that I have eternal life unless I am resting my faith solely in Jesus Christ and his perfect work, I have no life because the only way to God is in him. Friend, what do you believe about the Lord Jesus? Do you believe what the Bible says about him? That's the first test. And then John says, do you love God? Do you love God this morning? Do I love God? If I believe those things of the Lord Jesus Christ, I must also love God as I gaze upon the Savior. There's only one explanation of this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he has eternal life. 1 John 4, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. We love him because he first loved us. So that's the second test this morning. What is my attitude towards God? Do I love him? Do I harbor harsh thoughts of God? Do I say when things go wrong instantly, oh, God must be against me. He doesn't care for me. He doesn't love me. You see, the believer knows Christ and he knows the love of Christ and he knows that God sent his son to die for him and knows the love of God poured out in his heart. And because he loves us, we love him. And John also puts it like this in terms of attitude towards the world. 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So what's my view of the world when I know for certain that I have eternal life? 
What is my attitude to this world around us in which we are all living? What am I living for? What is my purpose? Am I more interested in what the world offers rather than spiritual things? According to John, Christians are men and women who view the world with an eternal perspective. They see it in a different way. They see that this world is not right. It's ruined by sin. That it's in rebellion against God. They know that the attitudes of this world and the the pervading influence of the world is something to fight against and to withstand. Do I realize that the world is actively seeking to ruin my walk with the Lord? That it's not neutral. You know, as Paul looks around at his surroundings and the challenges of living for God in a hostile world, this is what he says, 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Friend, what are we living for? Where is our perspective? Looking at the things seen, how much time do I spend dwelling on the Lord? How much time do I think and look for the glory which is with Him? Am I living with that eternal perspective in view? What am I taken up with? Is it this world or is it the glory to come? And John has also gone further, making sure that we understand that those who are truly believers are those who overcome the world. They rise above it. They conquer it. They're in the world. They're there to fulfill the purposes of God and to serve him and to make known the gospel, but they're not of the world. And yes, at times we stumble and we fall, but we don't stay there. We've been delivered out of the darkness of the kingdom, and so we ask ourselves, what do I really want? What do we want? Do I cling to the world? Do I want to cling to the world, or do I want to know God no matter what it costs? Do I want to honor and please God by submitting to his will and word? Am I eager to follow him and to keep his commandments? Friends, as we answer those types of questions honestly, we see where our hearts truly are. And those who have eternal life, we want more of the Lord. We love him. And at times it's just a flicker, but it's there. That desire which is given by God himself. And then, as we finish, do I love the brethren? John says repeatedly that men and women who are Christians will recognize and have an affinity with other true Christians. And they'll want to be part of a a fellowship, part of a local family of the Lord's people. And we're together, and we know, don't we, as we've already said this morning, that when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. Because our lives are knit together. We're family in Christ. And when we look at our brothers and sisters, we see those loved of God and saved by grace, and we know that we are together in Christ. And it's not easy at times, but the Lord gives us the grace to persevere together. And we realize as we look at one another that each of us owes everything to the grace of God. And we realize that in spite of our sinfulness, God sent his son to die for us. And though we have our ups and downs, as we've said so many times, we can say, that is my brother, 
That is my sister. And I love them because God loves them. And we've been putting his family together. And so do I want to be where God's people are gathered together? Is that the company that I desire? Or do I want to be in the world and around the world? Do I make it a priority to serve with my brothers and sisters or am I doing my own thing and what pleases me? Even flickers of life in response to these tests, these questions, shows God's work in our lives. Because the people in the world, <laughs> they don't have any thoughts for these things. And so any flicker that we have in response, say, well, I, I do believe in Jesus. I do love God. I do love the Lord's people. That is the Lord's work. We wouldn't say those things if he was not working in us. And you know, with dear Andrew, these things were evident in his life. Do you know, since the Lord took hold of him and worked in him, he was so regular at the prayer meetings as he could be. He was here on the Lord's day as he could be. He said to me even yesterday that he wanted to be with the Lord's people. He loved the Lord. And it was a remarkable transformation, real life. And friend, that is why we can know where he is. And when we consider ourselves, if we see these things in us, we can know it too. Do you have life? Do you have it by the grace of God? If you do, you are destined for glory. What is Jesus Christ to you? What is God to you? Do you desire to live righteous and holy? Do you want to be like Christ? Do you love the brethren? These things are the key things. And friend, you know, if you can honestly say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When you can say he is my God, that is a wonderful place to be in. And friend, if you're here this morning and you feel you don't know these things and yet you long to be a real Christian, then what you need to do is very simple. You need to come to the Lord and you need to call upon him. And you need to tell him that you're not certain and that you don't know and that your soul is troubled and you want to know him but you realize that you're a sinner, but you want to rest in his arms and you want to be certain of eternal life. And you cast yourself on Jesus Christ and know that the one who goes to him, he will by no means cast away. And you ask him by the Holy Spirit to enable you to see your helplessness, to see your sin and ask him to save you by his grace. You look to Jesus, his life, his death on the cross and his resurrection. You believe on him. You cast yourself upon him and he will save you. And what's more, he will keep you forever. And that's a great hope. It's the hope of Andrew. It's our hope too. And I pray that you would know it this morning and that it will be a cause for rejoicing that you may know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. Amen.